Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 4.30 in the morning. This week, we're going to be taking a little bit different tone with the show, but we've got something that we really want to talk about. Isn't that right, Ben? That's right. This week, we're going to be talking about the 9-11 attacks that happened on September 11th, 2001. I can't say this is an episode that we're excited to do, but this is something we really feel that we need to talk about. We felt inclined to do a a special episode for 9-11 because this is a time in our history that we truly never want to forget, and some of our listeners might have been really young when this happened not even alive. It's it's very important to keep the stories of the heroes and the victims of what happened September 11, 2001 alive because there's still a lot of unanswered questions exactly that deserve to be answered. So, yeah, like Ben said, it's very important to keep the discussion going and in, at least in my opinion, I don't know if Ben shared this opinion or not, but I don't feel like the government and the media is entitled to dominate the opinions that happened on that day. Definitely. Because like we said, nearly 3,000 people died. I think that the exact number is like 2,009 977. Give or take. And, you know, not everybody that died was reported. Not so everybody that died was reported. Also, they're including deaths now of people that died of an illness that was caused by the, the attacks directly. They're saying that if something happened like to your lungs and you died a few years later because of it, they're counting that death in the attack. Sure, as they but should. But still, we're talking about 3,000 people, all of which in this scenario were completely innocent. And this was the biggest attack on our homeland since Pearl Harbor. And it's considered the biggest terrorist attack in world history definitely so we we felt like it's really important to keep this story alive and hopefully you know we don't know if these questions will ever be answered but it's important to keep these questions you know alive and continue to ask them yeah and we feel like even in a situation like this we feel like it's important to just at least discuss what's happening because we have to keep the system honest definitely and if this is one of the worst days of our lives like i remember this day like it was yesterday yeah we were young I mean, but we, we didn't know any victims we weren't directly affected by this outside of the fact that we watched it on TV and it was in our country but this was such a ridiculously tragic event and it's very important to keep that in mind as we have this discussion definitely but also understand that we can't let something like this happen again but we also have to understand what led to this attack we have to keep asking questions we have to keep pressure on the system because something went wrong that day 100% and uh, we're going to be getting into the brief history of the perpetrators the terrorists that caused this attack al-Qaeda, and this is a brief history of Afghanistan and the rise of Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda and the roles that they played in the attacks. Yeah, so this is going to be a very different episode. We're not going to get into the news stories this week. We're just going to jump right into this material. We're going to be back with the fun stuff next week, but we feel like this is a very important discussion to have. Definitely. So So, to kick us off, I'm going to start off with a brief history of basically what happened before the attacks and what led to the attacks, a brief history in Afghanistan and whatnot. Alrighty, sounds good. So, in 1978, a Soviet Union-backed communist Afghan party took control of the Afghan government, and the Afghan people started to revolt against the oppressive and suppressive government for the following year. In 1979, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan to stop the rebellion. For more than a decade, the Soviet Union fought the Mujahideen. Now, the Mujahideen was basically just like a number of ragtag, guerrilla-type warfare groups. Yeah. And they were actually pretty smart. Their warfare tactics were pretty simple, but they were really smart. They used the mountains and their terrain to their advantage and the Soviet Union really wasn't prepared for that. Yeah and that's the one thing that gets forgotten about when it comes to Afghanistan is just how easy that terrain is to manipulate if you know it really well. Yes. It's very easy for a small ragtag group to wield an awful lot of military power just because you can't really land planes in there very easily. Yep. You can't stage a normal invasion like you would most other countries. It's very easy to stage guerrilla warfare and control certain. You can control a very small amount of land and still control the entire country basically. Definitely. Now the success of 
of the Mujahideen. I think they were also called like jihads too. Yeah, something, correct? something. Something like yeah. that. The success of the Mujahideen influenced men all over the Middle East to join the cause. Among those men was Osama bin Laden from Saudi Arabia. Now, he was a devoted Sunni Muslim, and in the early 80s, he was strongly influenced by Islamism. Now, Islamism is basically a political ideology that's rooted in is Islamic religious teachings. Correct. And bin Laden and a lot of these other Islamists, they wanted to turn Afghanistan into an Islamist state. And he would go on to join the Mujahideen and beat the Soviet Union. Now, bin Laden was super, super rich. His family was super rich. After his father died, he was to inherit millions of dollars. Correct. So bin Laden and his family basically funded these ragtag groups, which helped push the Soviet Union out of Afghanistan. Yes, definitely. Now, since bin Laden was a radical Islamist, the Soviets were not the only bad guys. The United States, Israel, and basically any other infidel that didn't share the same ideology that basically had to be dealt with. And one thing, I'm going to jump into this discussion real quick. The sure. one thing with the Middle East, and this has been going on for a while, but as most people know, the Middle East is predominantly Islam. Now, there are tons of different factions within Islam that make up not only the religion, but the state. And people don't understand how intertwined the state and the religion actually are in these various nations that exist across the Islamic world, which is primarily in the Middle East and primarily in like North Africa, mostly. The problem with that is essentially people tend to fall into two belief systems. I might be oversimplifying a little bit, but we run into a situation where people are either pro the West or against the West. Sure. And different belief systems hold different ideologies when it comes to their opinion on the West. But the Middle East, it's very easy to fall either you're basically a pro-Westerner or you're against the West. Makes sense. So bin Laden being a radical Islamist and believing in the supremacy of the Islamic State would fall in the against the West belief system. And and just to make a point, bin Laden appealed to extremists because he was an extremist himself and he wasn't like a religious scholar or big top political guy. He was just an extremist and the majority of Muslims they they didn't really agree with him. Exactly. But that's a problem with the whole with the whole geopolitical climate. This this exists across the globe whether it's in an Islamic country or whether it's not is extremist beliefs are starting to get normalized across the board. And that could happen in Western society, that could happen in Eastern society, that could happen in the Middle East, is the process of normalizing radical belief systems in an effort to create either you're for us or you're against us, trying to create a belief system that goes along those lines. Right. So that is kind of sort of what's going on. Now, that's an oversimplification of what's going on. But you have to keep that in mind when you're thinking about how he was able to get people to his side and how he was able to radicalize so many people. Definitely. He was very good at creating this either you're for us or you're against us type of belief system. Sure. Now, to continue to gain power and more control over the region, bin Laden and other prominent Islamists formed the group known as Al-Qaeda. In 1989, the Soviets retreated from Afghanistan, proving a ragtag guerrilla group could defeat a a world superpower, basically. And that's kind of crazy if you think about it, because Soviet influence in the Middle East was a big thing, because the one thing people forget about with the Middle East, too, is how oil-rich they are. Mm -hmm. And even in a country like Afghanistan, there's strategic advantages to trying to hold that land even as ridiculous as it is and they have a lot of rare earth minerals in afghanistan as well exactly yes now bin laden being from saudi arabia he wanted to take the same strategy to saudi arabia since dictator saddam hussein of iraq was going to invade saudi arabia in 1990 the saudi government decided not to go along with bin laden instead taking assistance from the united states instead now bin laden was not cool with this and he wasn't cool with this because being an extremist he was infuriated that saudi arabia 
Arabia chose a country that had Christians and women and Jews in their military, basically fight for his home country. Sure. And he was pretty public about his, he, he was really public about his uh, opinion. And he was, he ended up being expelled from Saudi Arabia and he was disowned from his family, basically. So he continued to grow Al Qaeda and he formed an alliance with Afghanistan's new Islamic regime called the Taliban. Bin Laden and Islamic groups declared war on the United States, calling for Muslims anywhere to kill Americans, even citizens. Now, obviously, as we stated before, probably 99% of, of Muslims did not did not agree with that. Exactly. They, yeah. Okay, majority of Muslims are good, peaceful people. and But the belief system was very easy for a disenfranchised, especially a disenfranchised man, to go along with. Definitely. And throughout the late 90s, Al-Qaeda would carry out terrorist attacks on U.S. embassies and on a missile destroyer. And before that, in 1996, Bin Laden met with a Pakistani Islamist who gave Bin Laden the idea of using airplane attacks. Now, there's a lot bigger story involved with that, but basically, if I remember correctly, it was the nephew of this Pakistani who orchestrated the 1993 bombing on the World Trade Center. Yeah, people so, forget that that even happened. Yeah. Thus beginning the plans of using 19 hijackers and four airplanes, in the year 2000, 19 men slowly made their way into the United States and lived in places like California and Florida, taking flying lessons and basically waiting to hear what targets to hit from their bosses. Yeah, and just real quick, that bombing is different from the Timothy McVeigh bombing in Oklahoma City. Yes, definitely. People often combine those two events, the 1993 World Trade Center attack Mm -hmm. and the Oklahoma City bombing. People people combine those in their head a lot, and it's very important to differentiate the two of them because the New York's World Trade Center was attacked in 1993, and it's very easy to forget. And they used used a a van bomb, didn't they? Something like that. It's like like they drove in like the first floor or something. It wasn't a very significant attack. I can't remember what the casualty number was. But. I can't remember either. But as we know, the targets were the Twin Towers, the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and either the State Capitol or White House. Three of them hit their target. One went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, not far from Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's basically the quick rundown of the history of what brought about the situation. Yeah, so basically, and the one thing that we need to, we can't forget about in this discussion is in the early 90s and the late 80s, they were fighting the Russians in Afghanistan. Yes. This is less than 10 years. The, the Twin Towers fell less than 10 years after the fall of the Soviet Union. It's yep. very easy to forget how soon this attack happened in terms of the global scale of conflict. It was really quick. It was very quick. And it like I was seven years old, I think, when it happened. It, I didn't remember the Russian or the Soviet Union falling because I wasn't alive for that. I, I think they officially were completely out of the country in like 92. And yeah. that, that deck and that that war was over a decade long. Yeah. And Gorbachev resigned as the chairman of the Soviet party in uh, like Christmas Day of 1992 or something, which is like the official fall of the Soviet Union. Right. So this was really quick in terms of global politics and global conflict. This was 10 years after the fact. Definitely. So the world wasn't was still adjusting to the fact that the United States was the true number one superpower. Yes. So basically next what we're going to be getting into is how this happened. Why this happened. Um, The official story obviously is we know who was basically involved. The 19 hijackers. Al-Qaeda planned it. Osama bin Laden was behind it. They orchestrated this uh, in Afghanistan. They were harbored by the Taliban. So the next step is how how did this happen? What happened? So we have four separate airplanes hijacked all on the morning of September 11th at some point. I don't know the exact times that the planes got hijacked. I don't even know if that's actually official record. 8 a.m.? It was mostly, it was right around between like 8 and 9 a.m. Yeah. Uh, The first plane crashed into the World Trade Center at like 8.46 or something. I 
I can't remember the times. I didn't jot down the times. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't feel like they were super important. And I don't feel like the times are super important either. But we have right. four planes getting hijacked, four separate planes getting hijacked within an hour of each other. Yep. 19 total attackers, according to the story. Almost 3,000 casualties by Un- the end of the day. Unbelievable. 2,700 at least. So the question is now, how did this happen? And the biggest problem that pops up immediately is that Osama bin Laden had been on the United States' radar prior to the attacks. And people forget about that for a second. Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda was open about attacking the United States for a while. And like we just said, they, they attacked they, the embassy. They attacked the embassies. They attacked uh, the USS Cole, I believe it was, the, yeah. the missile destroyer. Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden were definitely on the United States intelligence radar. He was on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list in 1998. He was known about as a problem person before that. So that's very interesting. Right. The other thing that strikes me, and this is a controversial thing to bring up, even though you can't really dispute that this happened, is in 1997, after he had been wanted by the government in some form or fashion, in 1997, CNN found him in his hideout. Now, hideout is a strong word, but CNN went there and interviewed him in his hideout. This is a, this has been a problematic terrorist, and he's been a problematic terrorist for the United States throughout the 90s. They couldn't find him, but CNN found him and was able to... <laughs> seriously, think about that for right, a second. definitely. And that interview was his first interview with Western media, where he basically talked about what he believed in and everything. Right. So this was somebody that was on the radar. This isn't some radical weirdo that nobody had heard of prior. Now, the average citizen probably didn't know about him. Right. But this was somebody that should have been recognized before the attacks happened. Now, the question is, how does this happen? How do four separate planes get hijacked? Because can you think of a situation outside of D.B. Cooper where a United States plane got hijacked and it was like a public situation? Because we had, we've got like 80 years of public air travel at this point in 2001. Right. Outside of D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper is the only other airplane hijack that I was familiar with before these attacks happened. Yeah, I can't think of anything either. It's uh, it's pretty amazing how, and the 9-11 Commission really goes over how they just kind of just screwed up in tracking these people and some of them actually got stopped at customs and just, nothing just really happened about it no, sure. nothing happened they actually had trouble getting into the country but eventually uh they actually had to switch some people out i think some people backed out but they ended up getting everybody in somehow exactly they really get 19 people onto these planes now, I'm not going to say that it's impossible to get a guy ingratiated in America enough that he can get onto an airplane, because obviously it happened 19 times. Right. And it's happened since 9-11, too. Because we forget about it was a 2004, the underwear, the Christmas Day underwear bomber in Detroit. Do you remember that one at all? Where the guy was trying to hijack a plane and he would have, but the bombs went off in his pants. Oh, man. You don't remember that? I don't remember that. And I think there's a reason why you don't remember that, is because it was a huge probably because yeah, it's like there's definitely. no way this should have ever have happened yeah no shit and i think it's a christmas day situation unbelievable but somehow some way all the fail safes to prevent this type of thing didn't work on september 11 2001 yeah and the 9-11 commission is all online and available to read and i have a lot of the notes here of the summary and sure. they basically admit all the failures that the intelligence agencies did and lack of communication and lack of just using their resources and following these guys and that calls in the question too well where are these federal tax dollars going? Like right here, I can just read these few bullet points. Okay, let's listen. In this summary, it says, uh, permeable borders and immigration controls. There were opportunities for intelligence and law enforcement to exploit Al-Qaeda's travel vulnerabilities, considering collectively the 9-11 hijackers. One, included known Al-Qaeda operatives who could have been watchlisted, presented passports manipulated in a fraudulent manner, presented passports with suspicious indicators of extremism, made detectable false statements on visa applications, made false statements to border officials to gain entry into the United States and violate
violated immigration laws while in the United States. All this shit happened and nothing, nothing happened? Neither the State's Department counselor, counselor officers nor the Immigration and Neutralization Services inspectors and agents were ever considered full partners in the national counterterrorism effort. Protecting borders was not a national security issue before 9-11. And I, that has come up a lot, how they put a lot of resources overseas to find these people, but they didn't do anything domestically. They didn't do anything stateside. Yeah, exactly. That, and that comes up a lot in this commission, is how they didn't do anything in the homeland to prevent these attacks. Now, obviously, the solution of the problem after the fact was creating the Department of Homeland Security, but that's just more money going to yeah, whatever. Exactly. exactly. And yeah, it's just... And when it comes to conspiracy theories, I am not a big theorist when it comes to this attack. Me neither. I don't believe in any of the inside job stories. I don't believe that any elected official at least had a, a role to play in letting in, in the attacks happening. I agree. And I don't think that's a radical belief, but I also think that there was a lot that didn't get talked about. A lot of problematic aspects of the federal government didn't get highlighted enough. And obviously we talked about a lot in that report. Right. This was an official government report that got submitted. And that's stuff that not a lot of people have heard. Right. Like we're led to believe that some of these guys are basically we're put in a situation where we have two options. Either these guys were so much smarter than the system or the system was really, really, really lackadaisical in its efforts to actually stop this type of thing before the exactly. attacks happened. Exactly. Now, if you're a federal official, you're going to say, yeah, we didn't have the resources. We need more money to prevent this thing in the future. But it could be an actual question of, well, are you guys doing your job? And is a system the problem? Definitely. So as far as like theories, what do you have, Pat? Like what, what, what would you say that's outside of the narrative, outside of what kind of what the 9-11 Commission? I, I could go over more of what the 9-11 Commission says if you want. Sure. So problems with the intelligence community. The intelligence community struggled throughout the 1990s and up to 9-11 to collect intelligence on and analyze the phenomenon of transnational terrorism. Combination of an overwhelming number of priorities, flat budgets, and outmoded structure and bureaucratic rivalries resulted in an insufficient response to this new challenge. Many dedicated officers worked day in and day out for years to piece together the growing body of evidence on Al-Qaeda and to understand the threats. Yet, while there were many reports on bin Laden and his growing Al-Qaeda organizations, there was no comprehensive review of what the intelligence community, community knew and what it did not know and what that meant. There was no national intelligence estimate on terrorism between 1995 and 9-11. Before 9-11, no agency did more to attack Al-Qaeda than the CIA. But there were limits to what the CIA was able to achieve by disrupting terrorist activity abroad by using proxies to try and capture bin Laden and his lieutenants in Afghanistan. CIA officers were aware of the limitations. Now, that a, came from the 9-11 Commission report? Yes. Okay. Now, to me, I, that... I, I, could see, I could see how using proxies isn't a really good way of getting information a proxy like a proxy war is basically using uh another is basically using another force that isn't yours to gather information or fight a war for you basically exactly if that makes sense basically using military any type of military strength that you can't isn't directly commanded by you yes now what that sounds like to me what you just read sounds like number one they just didn't believe it was going to be they didn't believe that al-qaeda or osama bin laden was going to be 
a problem. They probably didn't think they had the capability of getting over here and doing that. Yeah, they, they, they underestimated the problem, number one. Number two, to me, what you just read sounds like a call for more administrative oversight. Yes. Now, there are pluses and minuses to that, but assigning more administrative oversight to a problem doesn't immediately mean that it's going to solve the problem. Right. You're just putting blame. You're just, you're just creating another level to place the blame on if something goes wrong, as far as I'm concerned. Because administrative oversight is never going to be boots on the ground understanding the problem. It's going to be people kind of isolated from the problem a little bit, Definitely. trying to take in what's going on and make a decision based on outside factors combined with what's actually going on. And you don't know what side those people are on as well. Exactly. And the other thing with the 9-11 Commission that struck me is that Henry Kissinger was the chairman of the commission. Did you know that? I know I, I told you about this before we recorded. No, I, I didn't know that in the beginning. Because we've been working on this for a while. Henry Kissinger was the chairman. Now, Henry Kissinger was an American... I don't even know what to call him. I guess he was a global strategist, for sure. lack of a better word. He was best associated with Richard Nixon. Secretary of State under... He was Rick a Secretary Richard of State Nixon. for a while, but he was involved in the administration before he became Secretary of State. There yeah. was a point where Nixon fired the Secretary of State and installed Kissinger. But Kissinger had been making foreign policy since the 60s mm. in some way, shape, or form. Now, Kissinger's also tied in with a lot of the groups that I complain about throughout our podcast, most notably the Trilateral Commission. He's involved with that. And while people are going to try to assign a political party that Kissinger you really can't do that you really can't call him a Republican and you really he was never he was never a Democrat either sure it's very tough to assign a political party to him and it's very tough to look at all the shit that he did or he was responsible for doing and you can't look at his career and not find a problem sure. somewhere somewhere down the line definitely lots of times he was trying to start like little miniature wars with different countries for whatever reason there are plenty of times where you can look at his policy and be like this guy's a flat-out racist or xenophobe sure based on the things that he said about certain countries right and the other thing with him that bothers me is he sounds like a, he, the way that he administrates policy kind of makes it look like he's playing he's like in the game of thrones like he looks like <laughs> one of those behind the scenes guys in game of thrones like little finger or lord Varys, who's just kind of like pitting different factions against each other sure playing both sides and when you listen to some of his quotes it almost makes it sound like he sees world politics as a game Unreal. on a global scale now the scary thing about him is he's still alive this guy's <laughs> been making policy for 50 years and he's he's 98 years old now and he's still making comments well you can find his comments today about our afghanistan exit that happened a couple weeks ago right so this is the guy that was manning the 9-11 commission so when it comes to conspiracy theorists conspiracy theories have existed about henry kissinger far before 9-11 happened yeah definitely there have been people that have been calling him a war criminal far before this happened and he is the man chosen to administrate this 9-11 commission that's interesting so that just needs to be it needs to be taken into consideration during this discussion at the very least. And uh, one more thing I wanted to go over, because the rest of my notes I don't think really need to go over. Sure. But uh, from the 9-11 Commission, a lack of military options. So, in, respo- in response to the request of policymakers, the military prepared an array of limited strike options for attacking bin Laden and his organization from May 1998 onward. When they, bre- when they briefed policymakers, the military presented both the pros and cons of those strikes, strike options and associated risks. Policymakers expressed frustration with the range of options presented. Following the August 20th, 1998 missile strikes on Al-Qaeda targets in Afghanistan and Sudan, both senior military officials and policymakers placed great emphasis on actionable intelligence as key factor in recommending or deciding to launch military action against bin Laden and his organization. They did not want to risk significant 
collateral damage and did not want to miss bin Laden and thus make the United States look weak while making bin Laden look strong. On three specific occasions in 1998-1999, intelligence was deemed credible enough to warrant planning for possible strikes to kill bin Laden, but in each case strikes did not go forward because senior policymakers did not regard the intelligence as sufficiently actionable to offset their assessment of the risk. The Director of Central Intelligence, policymakers, and military officials expressed frustration with lack of actionable intelligence. Some officials inside the Pentagon, including those in Special Forces and Counterterrorism Policy Office, also expressed frustration with the lack of military action. The Bush administration began to develop new policies toward al-Qaeda in 2001, but military plans did not change until after 9-11. And that's so, very significant, and to me at least, and now when we hear the term policymaker, we can pretty much sub Bill Clinton in sure, for that, yes. for the most part. Yes. And a lot of people out there will try to say that Bill Clinton could have killed Osama bin Laden prior to 9-11. Yeah. I'll, that is, I am not a Bill Clinton fan in the slightest. Me neither. And but that's a, that's a loaded accusation to throw at him. A, a lot of a lot of critics uh, have said that the bombings on Al-Qaeda after the, the bombings of our embassies and the USS Cole, they were just, they were just kind of weak attempts, honestly. They just, they just weren't, they didn't do anything. Sure. They didn't weaken Al-Qaeda. They didn't really do anything. And it's just, from this 9-11 commission report, what basically sums it up is just incompetence of, of the government. It sounds like incompetence and it sounds like a process that is bogged down through needless administrative oversight. Yes. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, for sure. And when it comes to any system that is very large and overreaching and has a very large budget, the administrative oversight only matters if it's actually solving problems. Sure. In the 1990s, we're looking at a situation where administrative oversight, number one, didn't solve the problem, but number two, could easily be the reason why the attacks were allowed to happen. Definitely. There was too much going on, too much bureaucratic nonsense going on. Which is politics. Bullshit politics, man. That stood in the way of the large, heavily funded system doing the job that we pay a lot of taxes for it to do. Definitely. That in and of itself puts the federal government kind of on blast as far as I'm concerned. And those intelligence reports were an issue after 9-11 as well, trying to find bin Laden. And and one of the reports talked about rivalries between the intelligence community. And that's a huge thing that doesn't that get highlighted either. That is a huge either. problem. That is a huge problem. That, that was a huge problem after. Exactly. Well, because there were times where they had bin Laden cornered after 9-11, but they just didn't go through with the tax because of information that was not given to different agencies. And just little tit-for-tat type shit. And if you need more evidence of that happening across the wider spectrum of, of the American federal system, look no further than Waco and Ruby Ridge. 100% a situation where one agency was trying to create, make sure it was legitimate, didn't want the FBI getting all the attention, <laughs> and went overboard. Unreal, man. That's, that's, what, that's the kind of thing that happens. But you have to understand, too, that at the end of the day, these people in charge of these agencies are people, number one. They're trying to keep their job. They're trying to keep their... They're just doing what they're told. Basically. Well, they're doing what they're told, but number two, if you're in charge of one of these agencies or you got a lot of power within the agency, you have to justify your existence because you're being paid by federal tax dollars and you're not an elected person. You could be fired if whoever's in charge decides that you're not worth it. Right. So if you got a situation where you got two different agencies, two different intelligence agencies trying to corner bin Laden, they don't care about working together as much as who is going to make the takedown because the one that makes the takedown is going to be the media darling because that's what the media does. Definitely. They're not going to care about how all the interplay that went into it. Right. It's all about making the big headline and getting that budget boost. Definitely. And that might be controversial in and of itself for me to say, but that's just what happened. 
happens when you have an administration because you have to understand that it's people at the end of the day trying to justify their jobs. And yes, in a lot of instances, they're just doing what they're told, but that's usually at the at the lower level. Definitely. If you're an administrator, you're trying to justify your livelihood. So you got to do something that matters. It's a good point. It's a really good point. You got you to gotta make noise for yourself. For your exactly. Agency. Because everybody calls for budget cuts. Everybody calls for a reduction in waste and federal dollars. Sure. If you're getting a fat federal paycheck and you're not doing anything that matters. Right. You're gone. You're gone. <laughs> so that to me just need you need to think about that at least. Now I'm not going to blame the entire situation on that type of thing, but that's going on in the background and that still goes on in the background today. And that only gets worse as government gets bigger. Definitely. That problem only gets worse. So what else do you got? I think that just gives a good uh, rundown of what the 9-11 commission is all about. I don't think, really think we have to go over that too much more unless you want me to. I don't think so. No, we're doing good on time. So, and uh, so I guess we can start getting into like, there's a couple of theories that I kind of like to debunk that are just kind of ridiculous. And then sure. there's some, I don't know if you wanted to go over like fringe theory. I've or... got one that kind of startled me a little bit. Sure. Go ahead. Now, I can't remember what episode this would have been. This might have been on the Bob Lazar discussion. I mentioned a guy named Bill Cooper. I don't know. I'm sure you probably remember that name, but I can't remember even what I mentioned him in reference to. Mm-hmm. Bill Cooper is an author of a book called Behold a Pale Horse. Yeah, he sounds, yeah. Which is the Bible for American conspiracy theorists. It's considered a very fringe book. It's It was independently published. It was kind of one of those underground published publications that ended up seeing a huge, very large print run. Mm-hmm despite the fact that it was basically an underground publication. And it's also one of the most stolen books in bookstores. No shit. Like, apparently Barnes & Noble keeps it behind the desk because it gets stolen a lot. No shit. <laughs> Anyways, this guy had been a conspiracy theorist for a very long time. He had been a ex, I think a Navy sailor. He was on a submarine for a while. And he was involved in the intelligence community, military, like the military intelligence, uh, 60s, 70s, I think probably 70s was where he spent most of his career. But he published that book in 1991, and he mapped out a lot of issues when it comes to the administration administration, the presidency, uh, the way the federal government is structured, but also the secret societies behind the administration. And he also gets into like extraterrestrials and shit. But two months prior to the 9-11 attacks, he did an interview with somebody. And I can only find this article on the rollingstone.com where they actually broke down what he said. I couldn't find it anywhere else, even though a lot of people will reference Bill Cooper saying this type of thing. I could only find it on the Rolling Stone, which why is that the website that I can find it on? I don't know. But <laughs> basically, this was like two months before 9-11. So this would have been July, August, probably July. July of 2001, he went on whatever and was talking about the basically the geopolitical climate, what was going on. And he was like, well, we need to be prepared because based on what I'm seeing, there's going to be an attack on American soil soon. And Osama bin Laden is going to be the guy that they're going to put up as the, as the villain, as the bad guy. Jesus. Now he was alluding to the 1997 interview with CNN that I mentioned. He was like, how does the media interview this wanted terrorist when the federal government can't find him? Right. He's like, is that not just a little bit? suspicious that the CNN was able to find him but the United States intelligence community couldn't right so he alluded to that and he talked about some other things but he was like he's a problematic person but he is the perfect boogeyman when this terrorist attack that I think is about to happen here pretty soon is gonna happen so that's crazy this, he, he just predicted it Bill Cooper predicted it and he was pretty spot on with his prediction and doesn't get talked about a whole lot because either he has a crystal ball and he just knew about it or he knew he how knew the some, system or he knew how the system worked really well he, or he knew some behind the scenes shit 
noise that was going yeah. on, and he just he didn't, didn't say. So that's my fringe theory, and I think that's what took off because Bill Cooper was a very highly followed. He had a lot of he had a huge following within the conspiracy theorist community, mm-hmm. and he had that until he died. And he also predicted his own death. He predicted that he was going to get taken down on a raid, and he was. That's how he died. Jeez. He was taken down on a law enforcement raid. But I mean, maybe he could have had that coming. <laughs> he, no, he did. He did because he he was an idiot. Sure, but at the same time, he was right about an awful lot. And the fact that he was able to come out two months prior to the attack and say, it's coming, it's coming soon, look for it. And, and he also said it was going to be in a major American population center. So obviously it doesn't get much more major than New York City. Right. And he said, look for Osama bin Laden to be the, the boogeyman. So that kind of that kind of threw me for a loop when I read that one. Yeah. Now, yeah. I still think that Os- Osama bin Laden was involved, but I also can kind of sort of see how they kept him around just as a person to point a finger at if something went wrong. Sure. It makes sense. You know what? You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not... I'm, yeah, I I can't I can't get behind the inside job theory too much. I really can't. Right. But I can also sort of see how deep players within the intelligence community and deep players, deep state yeah. actors, and that knew. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned the Carlisle group to you. Okay, do you want to get into that? Yeah, I don't I don't really know a whole lot about it, but uh, it's just it's just really weird. Like 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 you said, I can't get behind the whole inside job that Bush knew about it, let it happen. The administration let it happen. They wanted it to happen. I just there's. I don't see a whole lot of evidence. There's not a whole lot of evidence. But the Carlisle group just just some really weird shit. Okay, let's get into I, that. I, I don't I don't really uh, I don't like and I looked into what you said about Michael Moore. I don't really like Michael Moore. I don't either, but and uh he he does have a book uh, he does have a book out about this, the Carlisle group. Now, there so to be fair, there are times where Michael Moore can be on the right track when it comes to a problem. Sure. His issue is his his, his solutions to problems are never going to actually work. Right. Now, the Carlisle group is a uh, private equity uh, firm and it's located in DC and it's invested in some of the most biggest and far-reaching defense firms in the world. If you don't know what a defense firm is, basically a defense firm is a company that builds weaponry, technology, whatever, and they sell it to the United States government and they use it in war, yada, yada, yada. And these firms and these investors can make a lot and a lot of money doing this shit. Exactly. And the Carlisle Group headquarters is literally located on Pennsylvania Avenue, right by the FBI headquarters, in between the White House, yada, yada, yada. And a lot of connections with past presidents and policymakers and yada, yada, yada invested into the group. Sure. And there's an interesting article in The Guardian called The Ex-Presidents Club, and it gets into a lot of what the Carlisle Group is. And uh, I have this little quote from that really long article. Okay. I wasn't going to get into the whole entire article, but... And there is evidence... So, as we talked about in the brief history, Bin Laden didn't like... um, the ties that Saudi Arabia had with the United States, which which could have prompted some of his his, his reasoning for attacking the United States. Okay, and I it could be that some of that reason is his connection, his family with the Carlisle Group and the Bushes and shit like that. I'm gonna get into it for a minute. So you're saying that there's a connection between his Saudi Arabian family? Well, there was an actual connection okay. with Bush Senior and the Bin Laden family. This is really interesting. Yeah, this was after they expelled Bin. Laden. Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll get into this. This is a quick uh, take from that article. In a decade and a half, the firm had basically a 34% rate of return on its investments, which is incredibly high. Yeah, especially if that's annual. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and now they claim to be the largest private equity firm in the world. Success brought more inve- investors, including the international financier George Soros, which Pat knows who George Soros is. Yes, now real quick, private equity, and a lot of people don't understand what that means. Private equity is usually a company that invests in other ventures for the sole purpose of just making money. Yeah. 
And a lot of people describe this particular equity firm as the CIA of equity firms, meaning they do things in secret. They do things kind of behind they the scenes. do behind the scenes. They might yeah. take out somebody or leverage something for right. the purpose of making money on an investment. Right. And success brought more investors, including the international financier, um, George Soros. And in 1995, the wealthy Saudi bin Laden family, who insists they long ago severed all links with their notorious relative, Osama bin Laden. The first president, Bush, is understood to have visited the bin Ladens in Saudi Arabia twice on the firm's behalf. So there were ties between Bush and the bin Ladens, and I, Osama could not have been cool with that. Sure. Now, what those meetings were about, I'm not really sure. I didn't really get into it. It could have been about anything. It could have been about anything. Because people forget, too, that George Bush Sr. was a CIA director, right, when the CIA director was really, or the CIA itself was really right. taking off. So, I don't know. There's 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 weird shit with the Carlisle Group. And after the War on Terror, they got huge. I mean, their their revenue just got so much bigger. Exactly. They got a lot more investors. And I don't know. There, there could be something there. I don't really know. I don't think. Now... And even if there wasn't, talk about fuel for a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Looking at any of that. Seriously. And Exactly. And, uh, and in that article, it talks about how the Carlisle Group really influenced a lot of policy in, in Afghanistan, in the Middle East. During the during the war on terror, and that's the other thing too is that's just one, and that's that's to me I didn't know about any of that. That's that's ridiculous. So it's very it's almost too ridiculous for me to even believe. Even though I don't I, I, I don't I, doubt I, I don't doubt any of the information you just presented, right. but I I briefly got into this, so I might be missing a lot. I might be not explaining it well, but no, I thought that was explained it, 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 well. It's, it's pretty fishy in my opinion, and that's just one of many different firms, companies, organizations, societies, whatever you want to call them, think tanks that does that kind of thing. Right. And it's very easy with people that are privy to information that isn't in the public. It's very easy to kind of come together and manipulate that information for one purpose or another. Definitely. Now, are you done with that one? Because I got yeah, one yeah, I want yeah. to jump sure, into yeah. real Go quick. ahead. Yeah. And this is going to be along the same lines. Now, this one, the media doesn't know what to do with this one either, is, and I'm not going to get into it, but there's a lot of different unusual stock market trading in the weeks prior to 9-11. The most specific one is there was a overabundance of options being traded when it comes to American Airlines and United Airlines, which were the two. I, I can't remember where all the planes came from, but those were. I think those were the two that those crashed were the two into big, the. Yeah. yeah, there might have been one. Was there another one? I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. But American Airlines and United Airlines were both. I think United Airlines Flight 93 was the one that crashed in Pennsylvania. Yep. But there was a lot of unusual option trading going on in the weeks prior to the 9/11 attacks when it comes to those two airlines specifically, and not nothing unusual with any other airlines. The volume was remaining steady for all the other airlines, but for United Airlines and American Airlines, the options were getting traded at a volume much more or much higher than would be regularly assumed. Definitely. Meaning there's a lot of transactions going on when it comes to options and other things going on. That's fishy, man. Meaning somebody was doing something behind the scenes trying to make money or trying to at least maneuver as if they knew that it was going to happen. Right. The media's best thing that they're going to say, and this may be true, is that Al-Qaeda was trying to make money off the attack as well by investing which that could i could see how that that could be that could be it's a good theory it's a good explanation it's not a bad explanation. But that's not the only that's not the only instance of weird investments going down. Sure. Like, and we can get into, and I didn't get into the details about the insurance policies being taken out by bankers that worked within the World Trade Center. Was it, I can't remember, what, what was the big one that was taken out during the attacks? I can't remember what the big investment firm was. I feel like Morgan Stanley, but I don't know that for, I don't know that for positive. There were a lot. There was the one guy that had a lot of equity in the buildings itself took out an insurance policy like a week prior, specifically for terrorism. Is that a coincidence? Eh. I don't know. 
but it, it deserves to be talked about at least. Like, why would all this weird investor activity be going now? And then obviously we talked about Bill Cooper knowing about it or calling the shot, basically. Unreal. So there's a lot of fuel for these theories. Now, when it comes to like the planned implosion theories, I I I got into that. I did a little research on that. It's and it's debunked. It's yeah. It's it'll be very. There's they're they're hoping for a lot, basically. Yes. So the like the planned demolition. So there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people working in the World Trade Center. Yeah. Okay. You don't know how many bombs you would have to plant and put in there without being seen? Like, come on. Yeah. How, how could you pull that off? The logistics of that are difficult. The logistics of that are incredible. The and one thing, though, that bugs me is when, was it World Trade Center Tower 7, which was part of the complex that the Twin Towers were within? Yes. That's the one thing that bothers me, is that was the only other building in the fall, and that one wasn't directly attacked. Now, they're saying that that one went down due to a fire that started with debris hitting it or something yeah well they also had diesel generators and that those caught on fire and caused another explosion okay and that caused the collapse as well yeah the only other problem with that too is that the media reported it going down before it actually went down yeah like there was one point the reporter you could watch the video and the reporters like and tower seven just went down you can still see it in the background of well the discussion. I, I think the i think the reporter made a mistake i mean if you look at if you look at pictures of ground zero and everything that was going on yeah you can't tell it one was, thing it was. from another it you was chaos you, you can't tell a shit from another yeah you're right situation. you're right so it's at least a common discussion that point that sure. gets brought up for sure and uh I, I i read this thing from university of stanford this engineer i can't remember his first name but his last name was hamburger which is pretty amazing and basically what he said is if there was no fire involved then the way the towers were designed they probably would have still stood sure but um because of the weight distributions of the columns so when the planes hit it basically destroyed the core column in the okay. center, yeah. but the other columns dist- dist- distributed the weight really well, so they were able to stand. And the the initial blaze from like the ninety thousand gallons or liters, whatever it was, of jet fuel that basically ignited right away. That basically ignited and went away in like ten minutes. But it was everything else that caught on fire, sure, that, and continued to burn. And the steel and aluminum, when it's it, steel is made from fire, yeah. So as it continued to get hotter and hotter they started to bend and that's when the floors basically started to topple on themselves and the rest of the column started to buckle okay yeah and you know you always see the the theories of uh the pictures of the blast coming out of the side of the building yeah. under the shit yeah if you read what happened it, right away when the plane hit the building blasts of fire went all the way down the elevator shafts and it, and it blew out the bottom floor yeah. of that the makes, World Trade Center. that makes sense yeah so as the building was falling the columns were buckling on the bottom floors so that explains yeah, the, it, the shit popping out of the side of the building when it was falling and i can't argue with any of that yeah now the one thing and i'm gonna bring it up real quick the, the biggest group out there that's trying to counteract what ben just said is called the it's like the architects and engineers for 9-11 truth or something mm-hmm. which is a group of like 3,500 architects and engineers within america that claim to have issues with the official discussion or the official narrative of the attacks now the problem with that is everybody will be like wow 3,500 architects and engineers say that that would say what you just said is bullshit right 
The problem with that, when it comes to architects and engineers, is lots of people have different opinions yeah. about stuff. Like, an easy example was in my physics class in high school, he ran an experiment, basically, where we all had to build a bridge out of, like, papyrus wood or something. And at one point, like, when the when the parent and the teachers were coming in, like, the parents were coming in, a lot of engineering dads came in to the classroom, and our bridges were up. And the physics teacher said it was funny watching all these engineering majors look at the bridges, and everybody, every different engineer had a different opinion as to which bridge, yeah. which one was going to be the strongest. And he was like, and none of them were right, right when we actually did the, the weight tests on them. So it's very easy for a person to feel like they know a lot more than they do. Definitely. So, and, and I... I can't argue with what you just brought up. And what a lot of and what a lot of people don't know is that the fireproofing in the World Trade Centers were not that good. The, yeah. The insulation for the fireproofing in the columns were not that good. They were only they were only a half inch thick. And in 1999, they re- they realized that and they added about an inch and a half to uh, the World Trade Centers. But they only like 30, 30 floors between the two towers were completed with the new insulation. So sure. How many floors were in the World Trade Center? Like. <laughs> Over a hundred. Yeah. So, and you're talking both towers. So, yeah. Not a whole lot. So, I could see how the columns were burning for a long period of time. Yeah. Sure. I could see how they would buckle. Sure. And there's testimony of before the towers collapsing, there were there was aluminum and shit oozing from the towers, melted shit. Sure. From the towers. I sure. Mean, hell yeah, man. I can see how that could happen. And again, I can't disagree with any of that. I don't. I haven't. I've yet to see a, a truly convincing argument for the implosion theory. And this guy said that they the way they hit the towers was strategic as well how they how the the angles of the plane in which they hit the towers yeah now that is i just gotta say for guys that have never flown a 737 or whatever i can't remember the planes were 747s probably to pull that off is ridiculous well there's there's a certain height they had to hit the tower at because there's other there's other shit in the way sure so they hit it at their lowest point possible if there wasn't anything in the way the hijackers probably would have hit the towers at the base exactly which would have made a lot easier for the things to go down yeah so i also heard a theory that they tried to they were hoping to take out both towers with one plane at one point now i don't know about that i don't know how that would work yeah but what's what's crazy is when that pakistani um islamist that gave bin laden the idea of using planes sure the original plan was like nine planes like they were gonna attack a lot more holy hell yeah the original plan was a lot worse and that's scary because obviously and that was that's out of the 9-11 commission like they found that out and that's scary to think about because obviously 75 percent of the planes found their target that day yeah it's which very scary it's scary as hell to think about because what else would they have gone after chicago la uh, uh, industrial centers over the last couple of days i've just been thinking about how heroic the people in flight 93 were how to try and take yeah. take over the plane because they they i think they realized that this was an attack a terrorist yeah. attack they realized the other towers were hit and they actually reversed their course to go back towards washington dc so yes. they were like they're going towards the capital or the white house yeah so that we got to bring this plane down and they they all knew they were going to die and, and there there's you can't unbelievable there's bravery behind i mean we've talked about scenarios like those that's bravery behind anything that we could comprehend this is why we yeah. want we want answers people just des- they deserve answers exactly and again like we're talking about we really haven't resolved anything like obviously we've taken out bin laden for sure but we really haven't resolved anything we just added a lot more measures i guess right but even still al-qaeda's still getting away with stuff they're still getting away with stuff like they got away they, they almost pulled off the the bombing and the one that i alluded to the christmas day underwear bomber in yeah. detroit or wherever yep. they almost pulled that one off if the guy just wasn't a dumbass basically so there exactly is. there has to be there has to be consistent pressure from the people on the government and on the system 
systems at play to actually do their job. Right. And the fact that so many questions are getting answered alludes to the fact that some way, shape, or form, the government didn't do their, obviously they didn't do their job in 9-11 for all the safety measures that supposedly are being taken place. And that's something that we know. Like, that's an answer, I to, to me at least. Exactly. The government and intelligence ag- agencies were just incompetent to a point. And when you look at the system itself, the system itself is completely dependent on not enough people asking questions because a lot of people are asking questions about public safety when it comes to giving our safety to the government and letting them handle yeah. it as well as they can. Obviously, almost 3,000 innocent people died that day. They had no reason to die whatsoever. There was nothing, no, like, we can understand a military personnel getting killed or whatever because they're signing up to go into danger. These people are civilians. No horse in the race whatsoever outside of just living. And they're going down. And then we're losing. We lost 344 firefighters, 71 law enforcement total between the four attacks. Terrible. 55 military personnel. It's ridiculous. Terrible. And we didn't even get into the Pentagon attack, which that's the, the most suspicious one to me if something if shenanigans went down it was with the pentagon now one theory i want to debunk right away is the missile theory yeah i'm not into that i i watched the video now the video is really fast and it's really hard to see it just looks like an explosion but if you if you do it like really slow and hit it like watch the video sure you know uh play pause play pause really you can see the plane okay you can see it but you gotta look really close and the only thing with that that came up and i can't remember all the details but somebody was talking about how it was a really weird timing in terms of where construction was being done at the, during, within the Pentagon at the time of the attack. Mm-hmm. And But the other thing, too, is was it two years later when Donald Rumsfeld came out and said that the Department of Events lost like $2 trillion or something? Something like that, yeah. So it's, it's just kind of, it, again, it, it, it lends fuel, at least, to theorists. Sure. I'd say, not to get away from the Pentagon, but I would say like the, the one big theory we haven't gone over is the New World Order theory, and which uh, a lot of from what George Bush Sr. said in an, uh, in a speech, yeah, saying you know, uh, after after one of the attacks, uh, he was like, if if all if everybody can get together, we could create you know one new world order. He said something around those lines. Sure. And conspiracy theorists went, oh my god, this is it. This is the new world order we've yeah. all been talking about. Yeah. And, and then 9/11 happened to happen while his son was in office. Yeah. And, and then his son started the Patriot Act, which conspiracy theorists believe is the start of the new world order. And, and totalitarianism and the Patriot Act basically gave the intelligence agencies permission to basically spy on all Americans, the NSA, the yeah. FBI, and the CIA, which does happen. And I've studied I studied the Patriot Act in college, and there's a lot more going on with that than is publicly yeah is within the public realm of knowledge for sure. And that's not the Patriot Act is not a good thing. No, it's not. The one thing that I'm gonna speak up and say real quick is Bush Senior and Bush Junior. Obviously, they're the same family. Bush Senior to me is a lot worse yeah than for Bush sure. jr was i think it was very easy for people like i mean obviously you, you you're not you're never going to disassociate the two of them right but i don't see a scenario where bush where george w bush actually knew what the fuck was going on i don't think he did either i don't see i just i can't it doesn't add up now there's a lot of things that he did that i wouldn't agree sure. with at all sure when it comes to herbert walker bush ton of problems sure. there's a lot of problems with that guy's career now he might have mellowed out later on in life 
but <laughs> right. still he was part of every single problematic institution and he said a lot of problematic things mm. now when it comes to the new world order theory a lot of that has revolved around the idea of using the united states to kind of spearhead a globalist society sure and an easy reference to that is the fact that the u.n is stationed in new york city is headquartered in new york city that i'm sorry repeat that the united nations is headquartered yeah, in new sure. york city yeah yeah you know okay so there's a lot of people out there that believe that the united states is the spearhead of the they call it the liberal world order which if you go on the cfrs the council of foreign relations youtube channel you're going to find videos where they talk about the strategy of using the united states as military might to create liberal democracies across the globe basically sure obviously there are problems with that because should that be where the united states taxpayer resources are going to we could argue about that endlessly sure the other thing that comes up is when you google 9-11 conspiracy theories now i type it straight into google just to see what google would give me one of the first pages i think the second page that popped up was a council of foreign relations website article trying to debunk everything yeah now the problem with that article is i read it and i don't know who wrote that because that had grammar errors everywhere like <laughs> they, they didn't even use like the right tense yeah yeah and this is like an official journalistic publication i might have read that one because foreign affairs is a, an official journal published by the council on foreign relations talking about international policy for the united states right and what is published in the journal usually becomes official united states foreign policy so crazy it's it's easy for a conspiracy theorist to look at all that and say obviously there's a problem number two we're talking this happened less than 10 years after the soviet union collapse this has been the first time since 1913 or 14 where the united states didn't have a clear-cut enemy because world war one happened in the teens in the 20s they didn't really have an enemy but you know germany was coalescing the soviet union was getting ramped up mm-hmm. obviously world war ii happened in the late 30s early 40s everybody knew that world, the united states was going to be in the world war ii in the 30s right. everybody knew it was just a matter of when it was going to happen basically then we got into vietnam then well, korea that korea first and then vietnam yeah korea first then vietnam and then you had all the shenanigans in the central america like nicaragua mm. there's always something going on there's something. always something going on and then the soviet union collapsed and then it's just like there's no one else to fight really and that's why the carlisle group really stuck with me because it's like all right we need a war now we need to make money exactly we need to start you know we need to start making equipment start coming up with new technology to, to make more money and shit sure so that that sticks out to me just all of a sudden we're back at it if you, if you really think about it everything boils down to money <laughs> i know it does yeah it's, it's terrible but it's bad but anyways there's just there, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered and i feel like we did a pretty good job of handling this discussion i think we did too. do you have anything else you want to get into this i that's basically everything i have and of course nothing that we say is gonna fix the problems because at the end of the day three thousand people that didn't deserve to die died that day nothing we can say or talk about really changes that it doesn't change anything for the families either because their loved ones are gone. Whoever we place blame on, obviously we want to solve it because we want to make sure that justice is done and it doesn't happen again. But and we can't change that for those families. And the consequences of everything, the war. It, tra- it changed the world. This was it changed everything. The, I, I can't imagine, and I hope to God we don't have a day like this ever again in our lifetime, but that was a lifetime-defining day right there. 100%. Like I, you, I feel like it happened yesterday. You can never forget that. And as a paranoid seven-year-old, that didn't help anything for me. <laughs> but So you, you would have been in what the second grade second grade yeah i was in the first grade. i was paranoid as a kid to begin with so this didn't this didn't help anything because i could just kind of see like yep of course this would happen because this is what happens when problems don't get solved as a seven-year-old now obviously i didn't really know what the fuck was going on but you know Unreal. i sat there and i watched the columbine news stories and that didn't help anything either right so and then this happens two years later it wasn't good for my psychology anyways it's just important to uh to keep asking questions so we can find out what happened because yeah. because the victims and the heroes that died they i 
think they deserve to know. Yeah, I mean, 20 years later. I mean, we might not ever know. Probably won't. But we got to keep talking about you it. Have, you have to keep pressure on the federal government to make sure this type of thing doesn't happen again. 100%. And, again, we, we can't we can't do anything. It's 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 terrible. We can't help the families. I mean, they lost their they lost their loved ones. You can't you can't change that. Definitely, it it's the worst thing. But but I think that uh, will conclude this. episode. Yeah, that'll that'll conclude the episode. We thank you guys for listening. This isn't going to be as fun of a discussion as most of our episodes are, but we're going to be back with the fun stuff next week. Yeah, tune in next week. We decided to kind of take a different tone with this episode. So, anyways, thank you guys for listening. Please tweet us at thirty in the check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Xbox Live. I'm not going over stats today. We didn't have a good week, but that's all right. Anyways, do you have anything else, Ben? That's it. All right, thank you guys. For listening. Peace.